I remember when I was a kid in the 80s uh, watching Superman. Uh, he had x-ray vision. I don't know if y'all remember that. But um, he was able to see into things when he was crime fighting or searching for some kidnapped individual. And he would assess injuries and all kinds of things. He was really uniquely gifted. Uh, Jesus has spiritual x-ray vision. I mean, that's what we would say, I think, if we were to think about it. He can look into the hearts of men. He can look into your heart, into my heart, in anyone's heart. He is um, able to see into the deepest part of your soul. He's not just able to say, oh, I see this or that, and, and just kind of barely see what's going on. He knows exactly what is going on. You and I look at the outward appearance. That's our natural kind of tendency. We look at what's outward, not the inward. We're not thinking about the interior. We're looking at the exterior. We're looking at your, like someone's wealth or their morality or whatever, but we can't really see into their hearts. But that's not what we see with Jesus. He can see those things. And he knows really, truly what's going on. But Jesus knows uh, not only this man's heart and our hearts, he, he really um, wants good for us. Like he wants to change us and renew us and, and do work in us and, and, and transform us. This man we're looking at today, he will say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Like his desire is to think in terms of how can I achieve this? How can I make this happen? How can I make sure that not only have I had an earthly inheritance, but a heavenly one? That's kind of what's going on today. Um, if you remember, Jesus' disciples were fishermen. And they were following Jesus, and they left all their nets to follow him. And they were probably working for their daily bread. This man is probably working for generations' bread. And he's thinking about them. But when he hears the call, follow me, he doesn't know what he wants to do with that. He knows he just can't really deal with it. He can't turn away from what he is hoping in what he treasures most. You know, usually, it's not like God always condemns wealth. He makes people wealthy. I mean, if you look at the life of Job, he was a wealthy man, and people were, uh, knew that he was a righteous man. And he, God doesn't, like, condemn that. He made him that way. Satan said that he uh, made him that way. I mean, it's clear throughout the Bible, but it's just important to say Wealth is not like always a problem, but it's a problem when it is a problem for you, when you love it more than you love Jesus. Jesus is going to do one thing. He is going today to talk to this man about a relationship, a relationship where this superior is speaking to the inferior and calling him to follow him. Jesus says in Matthew six twenty four, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So today we're talking about Jesus and wealth, and we see its deceptiveness. One author said it's impotence and it's deliverance. And so we're going to look at that as we work through this. In Mark 10, verse 17, notice what it says. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then look at verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great 
possessions. He went away sad. He had so much stuff. We don't know a lot about him. You don't know what he did for a living. You don't know what he did for, uh, like as far as a family. You don't know where his wealth came from. You just know that you, uh, you see a man who came face to face with the eternal Son of God and walked away. He would not give up what he treasured most. Again, the Scripture doesn't say uh, condemn money. It's the love of money. And he doesn't condemn Job, I mean, again, like that, or Abraham, we would think of him, or Joseph, or Lydia in the book of Acts. There's a long list of people who had resources. And again, it's not the wealth. It is the love for those things. When he speaks to Jesus, he calls him good teacher. And a lot of people think that was like flattery. Like he's... You would normally say, teacher, that was a sign of honor, but good teacher, that's going a little beyond. He may have spent his whole life manipulating people, figuring out how he might be able to help them uh, give him what they wanted. I mean, some people's mantra in life is give people what they want and you'll get what you want. And that may have been his mantra here. And so you see here, as you're looking at it, this man is coming to him, but Jesus can see beyond him. And he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Jesus is not saying, I'm not God. He's just saying, only God is good. And he's a way of saying, like, you can't sweet talk me. You can't, don't try to do that. You can't sweet talk me. I know what you're saying. I know what you're doing. And so I think it's important just to stop and say, in the ancient world, and you might say in our world, if you're wealthy and you're a good person, God must have blessed you. That's the way people would think. They're wealthy, they're good people, God must have blessed them immeasurably. Because we would see physical success and spiritual success sometimes like interlinked. And that's just a reality for us. And the reality is, for a lot of us, we think, I can get my spiritual success just like I got my physical success. Recently, Will and I started playing uh, the guitar, learning it. Andrew was, has been teaching us. I probably got most fired up about it when um, Will printed out the song Dixieland Delight. Y'all don't know that. I'm sorry. But uh, he, um, he printed that out, and I started playing it. I was like, I could play this song. You know? But anyway, uh, I was talking to Lanny on, uh, sir, after service the other day, and he said, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to master it. And I was like, I have to live another 70 years, you know, because it's going to take that long for me to, to do that. But you think about in life, what are the things that you do that you say, like, I am the best at? I'm really good. I can work really, really hard at this and accomplish these great things. And we strive to do that, and you try to do that. And you might even think, you know what, I think I could do that in my spiritual life. I'll just work really hard work harder than all the rest, and I'm going to do better than anybody spiritually. Because we think that that's the way you get your spiritual standing. We have that in our hearts. What must I do? Some people would say, well, here you want a list? Repent and believe, get baptized, go to church, give your money, don't do anything bad, but do good. And guess what? Repeat that, and you'll have eternal life. That, that's what some would say. 
because they think it's transactional. I do these things, God gives me this, and that's the way they see their Christian life because they have this deceptive view of wealth and success. They think they'll get it the same way in the Christian life. If you work harder, you can obtain your spiritual place. That's a dangerous thing for us. And Jesus offers something, really, that you cannot master, or catch this, or manipulate. Some of you are masters of manipulation, but you cannot do that. He offers a relationship where he is in control. And when he says follow, you follow. So, Jesus and wealth, that's what we're talking about. We see its deceptiveness. We see its impotence as you go on. Verse 18, and Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus said, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Jesus gives the guy the formula he wants. The problem is he calls him to something that is so radical he cannot believe. He's asking for everything. He's got his earthly inheritance, and now Jesus is asking for that. He could not imagine Jesus doing that. He, he wanted to be able to say, I want religious success without you telling me to give away the thing I love most. That's what he wanted Jesus to say. He wanted something simple, a simple list. And some of you think of your Christian life like that. I just need a simple list. He just wanted to be able to add his eternal inheritance in the trophy box, be sure that it was done, and move on. So what does he say? Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. He doesn't call everybody to do that. That's just the reality. In the Bible, you don't see him saying that to everyone. It's not the way he speaks to everyone. It's the way he speaks to this man who thinks, if I mind my manners and I live a good life and I make my money and do my thing and like serve God in whatever way that he wants me to, then I will have uh, eternal life. And Jesus says, hold on just a second. There's this first commandment. You shall have no other God before me. That, that's the thing. No other God. If you have anything else before me, you can't enter the kingdom. Do you remember with Abraham when he said, take your son, your only son, the son of your old age, the son you've longed for, take him up on the mountain and kill him? Was God going to make him kill his son? Well, no, he didn't. But it was a test to prove the genuineness of his faith, of his commitment to God. You think that's otherworldly commitment. And it is. And we will see that. And so I think it's important to say, for some people, their possessions possess them. And when your possessions possess you, they're your God. When they rule your life, they're your God. When they rule your thoughts, they're your God. I had a friend some time ago say, you know, I had a great number of guns. And he said that they 
those possessions begin to possess me. I would leave town. I would think there was going to be a fire. I would think a thief would come in and steal it. I had to sell those possessions because they began to possess him. He understood this idea of idolatry. Idolatry is something where you have put something above God. It is easy to do that. And Jesus will not allow another. He is not going to be among the gods in your life. He is God in your life. And so this may, if you stop and think about it, sound a lot like denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. That's what discipleship is. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. This story is about a rich man. That he tells him, give me all that you have. And some of you may say, I'm not rich. And I would say, but he did say, all that you have. He did say, all that you have. He did say, I want all that you have. I want you to bow down before me. You could be poor and be desirous of those things. Look at the lottery numbers. Who buys those? Rich people? Is it rich people? Who, who spends inordinate amounts of money on the lottery? See, it can grip your heart when you never have had it. So we have seen this kind of physical and moral wealthy person, you could say, who is penniless in heaven because he loves those things more than he loves the Lord. The king spoke to him, and instead of dropping his mini crown, he held on to it and was damned forever as far as we know. That's a frightening place to be. Verse 22 says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Unlike Moses, Hebrews 11 says, who considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This man rejected the eternal reward for the earthly. It's interesting. This is a, this is a scary passage, and it's a scary passage for all of us because at the heart of discipleship, it is laying down your life in some manner, whatever that may be. And you will all face it. I remember that as a young man feeling this call to preach and teach and some of the weight of that. And not only that, just the desire to live my own life and to be free on the weekends and to be able to go and like make uh, money and do whatever I wanted to do. And that, that call just seemed more than I could bear. I, I really, I struggled with that. I know with Anna, she said we were talking about this week, like she wanted a family and it just wouldn't seemed to work out and it was not until she was 27 that we met and there were years there where she was longing for marriage and a family and watching friend after friend get married and then there were years where we couldn't have children and we didn't know if we would ever be able to have like children in the way that we thought we were planning to do you know and you're waiting and there's waiting and there's waiting and there's that thing in your life where you say but the, the real deal is, like, I'm following the Savior, whatever he gives me. He's called me to follow him. And if you're going to be his disciple, you will have stories like that too. It will cost you. But it doesn't, like, forever cost you. It's, a, it's something you kind of have to look forward to his ultimate plan. But anyway, as you keep going, 
Jesus speaks again about the helplessness of wealth. He says, how difficult is it for a rich man to enter the heaven, to enter heaven? And he says, um, it's, it's hard for anyone, but even further, for, for those who are rich. It's, it's easier, he says, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's crazy. Like you're thinking, what? A camel into the eye of a needle? How would that ever work? Well, this is what he says. The disciples say that too. Who could be saved? He's rich. He's moral. God's with him. Then who could be saved? Who could be saved? And Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I just want you to see that just for a moment. What does that mean? Because when Jesus' sheep hear his voice, they respond. That, that's what that means. But that when, like, Jesus says, like, it's been granted that you understand these gospel truths, that, that, that makes it clear. When Nicodemus talked to him about, like, eternal things, he says, you must be born again. God must do a work in your life that you cannot do for yourself. When Peter said in 1 Peter 1, God caused us to be born again, we didn't do that. He did it. And as Paul said, what God begins, he will bring to pass. It is impossible with man. It is possible with God. It is impossible for you being rich here today to be saved, but it is possible with God. So we see the, the deceptiveness of wealth, the impotence of wealth, and then the deliverance of wealth. Now what this means is there is a wealth that goes beyond what you can see. And Jesus says, anyone who has left house, brother, sister, mother, father, or lands for my sake and for the gospel, he will receive a hundredfold. In all those areas, Peter had just said, like, we lost everything, and he's like, or we left everything. And he says, anyone who has given all of those things, if they've just laid their lives down and they're following Jesus, they have left those things, they will get a hundredfold. 10,000%. When we think about material possession, he's saying like both in this life and the one to come. You know what he's talking about? The church. I think he's talking about the church. He says you've got brothers and sisters and mothers and all these. And not only that, you have those people who care about you and will bless you and serve you and invest in you and give to you. They're not hoarding their possessions. The true church is serving other with, uh, with their possessions. And if you've ever seen that, it's, it would blow you away. You think about how Christ's people have served each other throughout the centuries. It is mind-blowing. You're not going to give up in this life or in the one to come. In the present, you will get far more than you ever imagined if you hold on to yourself, to your possessions, to whatever your privileges, your greatness, you will get nothing ultimately in this life or the one to come. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you, for you are our glory and joy? Paul knew the joy of being in the church today, and he knew the, the joy of it in the future. You know, the gospel story is about a truly rich man who gave up everything. 
He gave all that he had. He gave all that he had. He gave it to the poor, not just physically, but spiritually poor. He gave up family, houses, land, glory, crown. He gave all those things. Why? So that you could have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. So that you could have a family, a true family that would last forever. So that you could have an eternal Father who will never let you go, who will always be there, who will work on your behalf, who is, you have access to, who loves you more than you could ever care about yourself. There was a great young ruler who gave up all so that you could be rescued. On the cross, he looked at you and loved you because he did love you. He came to an impoverished people and he made them his own. He is going to give them, and they already possess, you possess an infinite cosmic wealth that you could never obtain. I mean, this world's wealth comes and goes, but your spiritual bankruptcy is met with his spiritual riches. And it is shocking to consider. How is it possible for us to come, you might say? How can we let go of this life? How can we let go of what holds to our hearts so strongly? How could we get free from that? But God, that's how. But God being rich in mercy, because of His love for us, even when we were sinners, Christ died. But God causes us to be born again. But God regenerates our hearts and transforms us. You know, there was another rich man following this rich man. His name was the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul had all of the spiritual pedigree and all the stuff. He had everything. You know what he said? But whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that I might by any means possible obtain the resurrection from the dead. May we say, with heart shaped by God, who began a work in us, were the whole realm of nature mine. That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would be a people that would not claim Christianity that would not claim to be those who said, Lord, Lord. That would not be those who have held on to this life and lost the one to come and really lost out on the one now. Give us strength 
to put our hope in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. In Christ's name, amen.